Good morning. <clears throat> a great privilege for sure to be able to be up here and to teach God's word. Uh, I don't think there's any greater thing that there is to do in all of the world than be able to proclaim Jesus Christ, to herald God as King, as Lord and Savior, and and just so thankful to be here today. <clears throat> uh, sorry that it comes at the expense of Rory's health. Uh, he actually went to urgent care this morning, and so uh, we'll want to be praying for him uh, as it just seems to be getting worse. So um, as Blaine said, um, got to teach this over in Lapine a couple of weeks ago. And for those of you that don't know, Lapine Calvary Chapel is without a senior pastor and has been for about a year and a half. And um, so a rotation of guys from this church and from Calvary and Ben going over there and teaching on a Sunday. So we go over there about once every month, month and a half. And we're going through the book of Romans right now. And so this section is the section that I was able to teach a couple of weeks ago. It's in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Uh, this was kind of a little bit last minute since Roy didn't know if he was going to get better or not. And he said, hey, kind of be ready and be prepared. And, and um, uh, I'm grateful to teach in this. I actually wanted to teach something else. Um, just simply because I just love to be able to, you know, to carry on right where Rory left off or whatever, but, and I actually started working on something else, and God just revealed to me that I don't have time, I didn't have time to be able to put in the appropriate amount of study to be able to bring a new passage, so went back and, and um, just worked this passage over even more, and as some of us in, in the school of ministry are, are learning or gathering, you can't work over the scriptures too much, just making all kinds of observations about the truth that exists in the word, and and it brings out the, the truth of the passage. And so went back and have done that and um, not teaching a different teaching. Hopefully it's the same teaching as before, but definitely um, new for us today. So let me, uh, let me pray and we'll get, we'll get started here. Lord, uh, again, God, I just thank you for your faithfulness uh, for first service and, and, and plead with the Holy Spirit to, to be powerful here, not only um, in the speaker, but also the hearer, Lord. God, uh, we have nothing to say, Father, without your spirit, and we cannot hear without your spirit. And so we're just asking for uh, a work of your spirit to be here and be alive, be present, and, and allow us to, to hear from you, allow us to get you and to receive you today. Father, where repentance is needed, I, I pray that you would grant repentance. I pray that where minds need to be um, drawn to you, to your truth, I pray that you would do that, Lord. And for people that would be discouraged, Lord, with sin and struggling with where they're at and the things, God, I pray that this message will bring um, hope in a, in a way that, that uh, the world would not understand, Lord. God, so bring us hope in the midst of all of this, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Romans is a book that Paul wrote, as many of you probably know. And he wrote it to a group, group of, of Christians, and the primary purpose for the book of Romans was to declare the excellencies of God, to show us, to remind us, even as Christians, we need to be reminded of how great our God is, of, of, of his saving grace towards us. And, and this section of scripture is the start, verses, or chapter 1 through 3, start, it's the starting point of the, the explanation of why we need to be saved, why there needs to be salvation, why we need a savior. It unpacks our sin, what sin is, where it comes from, how it originates in our hearts. Sin, you guys, in the Greek, 
is to miss the mark. Simply to miss the mark. And really up until this study of this passage, I didn't really like to talk about sin that way because I know how sin just absolutely brings shame upon the Lord, shame upon ourselves. It's, it's horrific. And missing the mark doesn't sound that bad, does it? Many of us might go, well, well, missing the mark, I mean, that's just simply, well, you know, I mean, none of us can be perfect, right? I can be perfect. I'm going to miss the mark sometimes. So, so you know, it's just, I'm, I miss the mark sometimes, you know, not a big deal, probably. But you guys, in the original language, this missing the mark meant missing the mark, ending in disqualification. Missing the mark, ending in disqualification. So what am I missing the mark with? What do you mean? What does this mean? And that's going to be uncovered in this passage. What we miss the mark with. I'm not going to read all the way through because we're going to go verse by verse all the way through it. So we'll just go ahead and get started. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm teaching out of the ESV this morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So right away we see this for, so it, it, it's a connecting word to the previous paragraph, right? We're learning that in the school of ministry. Everybody nod your head, right? That's what we're doing. We're learning all these words. Lots of studying that we're doing right now in the school of ministry. It's very exciting. Hopefully all of us will get to uh, have a chance to be a part of it. So four, we can't start there. We've got to go back. And we see in verses 16 and 17 that Paul uncovers the fact that we need salvation. He's talking about our salvation, that this good news of the gospel. Why is it good news? Because we are in a place of desperation. We are in a place of death, eternal torment. And so he says we need salvation. Here's the reason why we're in the place of death and eternal torment. It's because of sin. Verse 18 through 32, we'll unpack that sin and that explanation. For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven. So the, right away we see the wrath of God. And, and you can think in, in uh, I believe it's Revelation chapter 6, verses 15, 17, somewhere in there, where it talks about the end times, the wrath of God, the fury of God, the anger of God. In that time, at, in the end times, it talks about rich men and, and, and rulers and, and slave and free and poor. All men at that time will be looking for caves to hide in. We're looking for mountains to fall on them to escape the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. And Paul here says it's revealed from heaven. So we're going to see that we have an expectation to see the revealing of the wrath of God. Why the revealing of the wrath? Why the wrath of God? It says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is coming on mankind because mankind suppresses the truth. You might say, well, gosh, this seems kind of harsh. Why, Why just in suppressing truth would, would mankind receive all this anger, this burning fury from God? Well, this rest of these verses are going to unpack that. So we see clearly right away 
that God's wrath is coming against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So ungodliness in the Greek speaks of a fail to exalt God for who he is, and unrighteousness is injustice, injustice. So God's wrath is coming against these things. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Who's them? Again, mankind. So what can be known about God? This, this word knowing in the original language speaks of uh, an acquaintance, so much so that, that you would be able to attribute attributes, that you would be able to ascribe attributes. You would understand the attributes of this one that you're knowing. So that's this kind of knowing. Not a knowing for salvation, but a knowing of who one is. That's what this kind of knowing speaks of in the Greek. So for what can be known about God is plain to them. And this is easy to see. Plain means clear. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, verse 20... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So here's where it starts to become clear to us. So this is saying the clarity with which God speaks is the creation of his world. So creation speaks to the existence of God. So we should know God, this claims, Paul's telling us here, because of creation. Namely this part of creation. Namely this part about God, rather, in creation. It says, for in his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So specifically, his eternal power and divine nature. This is the reason why we should know that there is God when we look at creation. Eternal power is this. Eternal is that we should know past, present, future. We should know a past, present, and future, an eternal power. And this word power speaks of a a treasurer. Speaks of a treasure, one who's in control of the treasure. One with authority, an auditor. One who makes the decisions over the treasure. The treasure being the world, being creation. So understanding this then, eternal power is that we would see that there's an eternal authority over creation. This is what creation speaks. And also a divine nature. So the nature of this creator, the nature of this God is divine. And that means majestic. Excellent. Perfect in morality. So when we combine it all together, in the invisible attributes of God, so even though we cannot see him, even though we cannot see his attributes, what he has done, what he has made, speaks to the authority of a moral and just and perfect ruler of the world. And you guys all know what that would carry with it. You're part of the world. I'm part of the world. That would then be my authority, my ruler.
But man chooses to suppress this. Man chooses to suppress this. What is clear, you guys, what is known, the Bible says, you can argue with it all you want. There's people that are atheists, that don't believe in God, that think this speaks to the cre- this part of creation. This is what it means. It, the, the Bible tells us that creation speaks clearly to everyone the authority and rule of a perfect God. This is all that's needed. It says, so they are without excuse. Isn't it ironic, you guys, that the number one thing debated by atheists is creation? Why? Because it speaks to God. They know they have to have an answer for this. Ones who choose to suppress the truth about God know, I've got to have an answer for this. I've got to come up with something else. So they're without excuse. All mankind can know God. Verse 21. For although they knew God, same form of the word knew, this acquaintance, an understanding of the attributes of the one acquainted with. So although they knew God, they, mankind again, did not honor him or give thanks to him. So we see what happens when you don't honor God, or I'm sorry, when you suppress the truth about God, you don't honor God and you don't give thanks to God. So when you take what is, what is true about God, all of his power, all of his majesty, namely those two things, all of his rule, all of his authority, all of his moral perfection, When you don't honor him in that, you obviously will not give thanks to him. You are not giving any kind of credit at all to God. Then what happens? Middle of verse 21. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when you suppress the truth about God, you fail to honor God, you fail to recognize God, you fail to give glory to God, to esteem God, obviously turning into no praise of God, when that happens, your mind becomes futile. Your mind becomes futile. The way you think, the way you understand life to be, to work, the way you understand you, the way you understand people, the way you understand everything in this world becomes completely futile. Now, obviously, this isn't speaking about being able to add two plus two. It's not talking about the intellect. It's talking about life. You cannot understand life. You can't make life work. Foolish hearts are darkened. So this is a continuation in this horrific progress in sin. 
Your mind continues and it gets darker and darker and darker, further and further away from the truth to a place that you can never come back to truth again. You can't get truth anymore. You can't find truth. Your mind will never arrive back at truth. It's like a computer. Starts out good, not that we start out good. Don't use the analogy there. But your computer, once it gets a virus, what happens? It can't quite think right. And then more can come in, and more, and more, and more. And what happens when you're putting all these viruses in this computer? It can never get back to truth. It can't work right. It can't work right. But here's a scarier verse yet. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So when people suppress the truth about God, they fail to recognize God as God. They do not honor God. They do not give thanks to God. They do not praise God. They become futile in their thinking, and they claim to be wise. This is stating that no one in that fool's seat knows they're sitting in the seat of a fool. You don't don't see that. You don't don't get that. That's what's scary. That's what's scary. You don't sit there and go, oh, I, you know, I just suppressed all this truth about God. I I took all the credit away from God. I give all, and it's got to be something. There's all this explanation, but Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and I should surrender to him. Your, Your mind doesn't go there. You can't get there. You think you're wise. Philosophy is a study of general and fundamental problems on this planet. People see that there's problems. And so philosophy tries to work these problems out. Socrates, kind of the first guy in philosophy, Plato after that. Philosophy asks six main questions. Eliminate God from being of any help in these questions. Think about this as I'm reading these questions off to you. So we've put God on a shelf, go, no, not God, can't be him, or anything he says. Think about these questions now. This is what philosophy tries to uncover, all philosophy right here. What is the nature of the world and why does it exist? What is the right way to think? How do we know what we think we know. How do you tell right from wrong? What is the best form of government? And what is beauty? These are the six main questions that philosophy tries to get at and get answers to and then present knowledge to the rest of the world. If you take God out of that equation, you can never get any kind of truth, can you? Zero. There would be zero truth. Because all those answers are here for us. Psychology is the study of the mind and behavior. 
if, if, if you don't understand God and how the mind works, and this is what happens to the mind, how, how are you going to tell me how psychology, how are you going to tell me how the human mind works? Well, this is what the human mind does. Well, see, when this happens, and you, and you put this influence in it, and this is what goes. But if you don't understand God, and if you don't understand sin, if you don't understand suppressing God, how do you get how our mind works? Well, it, it works this way. You, you can't get there. God owns knowledge. You see there's no knowledge of life aside from God? If you don't honor God, it's taken from you. You don't possess the right to think well. You can't think clearly. How are you going to study the mind then and be able to say how the mind works, how the mind knows? Science is the study of history of nature and how the world works. And it ends in knowledge. I believe in science. God created science. Science points to a creator. Science points to God. You remove God out of science, how are you going to get how the world was created? This, is, this all comes up when, when you remove God. And then you're left with trying to figure out how life works. See, it's, it's not like being lost out in the woods, this position of the mind being, being gone. It's far worse than that. It's like being lost out in the woods. Now you're lost nowhere to go, and it's dark, nowhere to see out, and you got hypothermia. You can't think well. You're delusional. You're lost, it's dark. Your mind is completely delusional, unable to arrive at truth. And it's these people that say, come follow me, I'll tell you about life. In that state of mind. I'm not saying all psychologists, philosophers, or scientists don't know. That's, that would be ridiculous. Some of those guys work hard at uncovering and using God to show those things. But without God, that's where you're left. That is where you're left. So then what happens when you... Suppress the truth about God. Your mind becomes futile. Further away in darkness. You think you're wise. Then what happens? Verse 23. In exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what happens next is you exchange the glory. So what was rightly God's in viewing God and looking at God, you take that from him and I'm going to put it on something else. Because the answer isn't God, but everybody's looking for answers. So I've got to ascribe that glory, that power, that goodness on something else. And so here it tells us that we put it on images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Seriously? Images of mortal man. So, so we're going to take this what is rightly God's. 
His glory, His magnificence, everything that He is. We're going to take that and we're going to place that all on something that we've made. Well, the Israelites did it, remember? The building of the golden calf. God takes them out of captivity, leads them through the Red Sea, does all these miracles, and what do they do? Thanks, God. Now nah, nah, we'll build a calf, we'll worship and exalt it. We'll call it good. We're going to glorify it. We're going to say this is what hope is. This is where our glories should rest on. And you and I look at that and go, those idiots, how do they do that? We don't exalt anything made by human hands, do we? We've never exalted our automobiles. We don't exalt our home. Clothing. <laughs> what about animals? Now that really seems dumb. Exalting animals. We don't do that though. The founder of PETA, when talking about equality, said this. When it comes to pain, love, joy, loneliness, and fear, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. That's the exaltation of an animal. Lesser exaltations of an animal are when people treat pets like a human. Maybe it's the same thing, probably the same thing. There's places on the planet where cows are sacred. They walk right in the middle of the streets while people are going poor. So it's this exchanging what rightly is God and his glory, taking it from him and putting it on anything else. And you guys, it talks about images made of man. We live in the land of plentiful, idolatrous trinkets and toys, don't we? There are a lot of things here that we have the ability to worship, to exalt, it's a definition of idolatry. The exchange, this poor exchange about the truth of God and putting it on things. <clears throat> well, then what happens? It just keeps getting worse. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them, because of this, because of this exchange that they wanted to do, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Right here, we see God gave them up. It's the passive fury, the passive wrath of God. Augustine said this, the punishment of sin is sin. That's what this verse is talking about. The punishment of sin is sin. Many people are like, oh, cool, I just get more of it, huh? Sin is absolutely, wholly, completely destructive of you on this planet, this life, and in the life to come. Completely and wholly destructive. 
We don't want sin. That's not a good prize to get. And this passage is stating that God gives them up to what they want. More of the same. More of the same. The reason why is because, stated here in verse 25 again, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see now in verse 25, this exchange, what happens is we we take the value away from God, we put it on earthly things, and then we worship. It says that we're given over to our lusts. So we understand that our mind is blown, it goes, it values other things, our heart's desires go right along with it. We think these other things bring us hope, bring us life, and so our desires follow what we think is going to bring us life. You will worship that which you believe brings you life, hope, joy, pleasure, comfort. God said, I'm all those things. The world claims to be all those things. So our desires go right along with it, with it, and it's called worship. We worship, we exalt, we glorify these things. And it says, and served. So you worship and then you serve creation rather than creator. When you serve something, you sacrifice yourself to it. You give up who you are to magnify, to glorify this thing. These are your desires. You long for this thing. So this inversion that we have, these things can be very good things. Good things that God gave us to enjoy. And we turn them into ultimate things. So we take the ultimate away from God and we wrap it up something else with ultimate, a part of creation. So what does it look like? Well, people. God gave us people to, to do life with. To love. To serve. To help. God is in community. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God loves community. He saves people into community. He loves the existence of community. Rather than seeing how God is so good in giving us people to love and to serve, to do life with, when we put them up in an ultimate place, we want them to do things for us that only God can. And it devastates relationships and it's doing it all the time see God will never ever leave you nor forsake you God will not do things to make you angry God always has our best interests in mind he's always kind to us and when you place that on your spouse and she or he does not perform like he or she should, you get angry. When you look at your kids, and, and I know how, I mean, a, a real fear of mine would be, I mean, I just I, to admit, I just don't want to lose my children before I die. I just, I, I, that would be really difficult. That would be really hard. 
But if I place my children up to some kind of God status, when they don't meet my expectations of God, which your expectations of God should be significant, when they're not worthy of your worship, you're angry with them. And you got jacked up relationships with your children. How about sex? Sex was given to us by God to enjoy as two people become one. It's a covenantal relationship that's a beautiful picture of our covenantal relationship with God. It's like, I am yours and you are mine, God. It's the same with a husband and wife. I am yours and you are mine. No matter what we go through. Because see, none of the, everything else is peripheral. We stay together. That's what we do. And, and sex is a beautiful picture of the, how one pastor put it, the mingling of souls becoming one. When we see God in truth, we see what a glorious picture this is. And we thank God for that gift. When we take it and raise it to ultimate, when, when sex is ultimate, then all rules are off. It's ultimate. I've got to have it. Now I can have multiple partners. Now I can, and you start to, to just look at people differently. You look at the opposite sex completely differently. You want to use people to get your ultimate goal. And so we don't mind plowing through relationship after relationship. We don't care who's in our path. We'll destroy them because I've got to have this. It's an inversion of a good gift of God. Worshiping creation rather than creator. The porn industry claims $14 billion a year here in America in sales. But it doesn't stop there. You could, I mean, food and drink. And, and instead of seeing this good gift of God for the taste and the flavors, I mean, we've got to have food to be sustained. What a great thing that God gave us different flavors, right? What a, what a pleasure that we get to have. We should thank God for that. It also should remind you that you're very fragile. <laughs> if you don't get food or drink, you die. That should remind you of the care of God. We'd be thankful to him. But instead, we can worship it and we can take food and drink and exalt them and say, life isn't meaningful without these. My Saturday nights have got to revolve around this party with people doing this. Or I've got to have this. When I hurt, when I'm lonely, I don't run to Jesus, I run to food. It's an inversion of a great gift. A computer Another, I mean, great gift of God. God chose to be able to give us the wisdom to be able to have this thing get rolled out. But we can worship the computer, can we not? Some of us can't get around without having a phone everywhere with us or a computer. 
recently talking to a friend that said that his sister-in-law, who used to be just so vibrant and full of life and loving the Lord and loving people, comes to his house and haven't seen her in a while, and comes to his house and sits there in the house and, 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 and is on the computer all the time and doesn't hardly engage anybody. How about your job? God gave you a job. God doesn't say this, go get a job, although he talks about being worthless in, in, idol, or, um, in idleness. But God says, I will provide for you. Seek me, and all these things will be given. To... Seek me. I'll provide. Call me provider. This is what I do for you. And as he provides for us, we take this thing and we give this thing jobs, ultimate value to where it's supposed to please us and satisfy us and give us comfort, give us peace. And when it doesn't, we get ticked off. Then we want to go to this job. Why won't this job work? Why won't this God job be a good God? Everybody there is mean to me. What are they doing? I'm worth more than this. What's going on? This isn't cool. I don't like it. This isn't fun anymore. We've taken a gift of God and given it way too much value. And we've worshipped it. And we wanted it to be a God for us. And it'll fail. All these things fail as gods. They're great gifts so that our worship would roll up in thanksgiving to God. A heart of thankfulness. But we've taken him out of the equation and we value all these things more than God. So continuing on, Verse 26 says, for this reason, so continue on from everything that was above, this suppressing God, this our, our feudal minds, darker and darker, exchange value, leads to worship of creation. Verse 26 says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So more about the desires of our heart. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Just more of the understanding of what happens. And then verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. So as this pattern continues to roll out, continue to value the world and not God, God gives us over more of the passive wrath to a debased mind. So this is a mind that's completely lacking in integrity, a very low position. So it's, it's, it's dark and you cannot see and your desires are not for God or for truth. And so it plays it out in, in just a, a horrific list here. Uh, verse 29, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, um, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, 
huge list, covers everything. And verse 32 is pretty scary. It says, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval of those to practice them. So once again, we're seeing still not innocent in sin. No one's innocent in sin. As a matter of fact, it takes us to a place that something still left in us knows that this is evil, knows that this is wrong, knows that this is going to roll up into death, and we still keep going. So in summary of what we've looked at, we see that men... And women suppress the truth that was clear about God. They rebelled against God by not honoring or giving thanks to God. This leads to a futile mind, continues to get darker and darker and darker. It devalues God, puts value of God on the things of the world. And it leads to all kinds of dishonorable passions that lead to a debased mind. So you see why sin is called missing the mark. Not worshiping God. It's worshiping the things of the world. Oh, you'll worship. Everybody worships. What is it that you're worshiping? I I have this burning, you guys, in in, in my heart that um, because of these, and they're very scary verses, honestly, in this claiming to be wise, they became fools. How do we know, how do you know you're not sitting in your seat a fool today? How do you know? How do you know you're not sitting in this church service, raising your hands, singing to God, opening the word of God with a Bible in your lap? How do you know you're not a fool? Well, because of all those things you stated, you might say. That proves I'm no fool. These people in here weren't looking for God. These people were far from God. They didn't want anything to do with God. You're right. That's true. But I still have this fear that we could be left in a state of foolishness and not see it, not understand it, not know it. I want to show you something. You guys may already know this. Isaiah chapter 1. Just listen. Verse 4 says this, Ah, sinful nation, the people laden with iniquity, offsprings of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. Skip on down. Verse 10 says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's speaking to the Israelites, his chosen people. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? So they're sacrificing which they were commanded to do. God's saying, what of it? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you these trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. 
Innocence is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I hate this gathering of you people. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat of the good land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here's his chosen people. They're raising their hands to sing to God. They're singing to Yahweh. They're not singing to some foreign calf God. They're singing to Yahweh. All these festivals God appointed... They're sacrificing well-fed animals, which was what God told them to do. What is the problem? Why is God abhor what they're doing? It's critical that we get this. They're not worshiping the true God. Even though they call Him Yahweh. Even though they meet in the temple, even though all these things, they're not worshiping the true God because this God that they're worshiping allows them to continue oppressing people, allows them to continue to do evil to people. They're not worshiping the right God. The God of the Bible loves people. You cannot worship God and hate his people. John 4.24 says, We worship God in spirit and in truth. That spirit is talking about from deep within us, from everything that we have, that we would exalt God from our innermost being, that all allegiance, all glory, everything is ascribed to God, all greatness, there's nothing else that's great, everything from within us. But you must do it in truth. You must worship the God of the Bible. You cannot make up some other God. That other God will not save you. You must worship God in spirit and truth. Truth about who God is, who he says he is. Are you worshiping a God that will continually allows you to sin, to live in sin? Are you worshiping that God? First John declares that if you continue on in your sin, if you practice sin, you don't get God. Are you worshiping a God that allows you to exalt his name but not love anybody else? Are you worshiping a God that lets you have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven? God says you can't have two masters. You will hate the one and serve the other. 
Are you worshiping a God that allows you to maintain your idol so you can take Jesus and, and just put him up on the shelf and get all the other toys and trinkets out and play with those all the time and then pick Jesus up? Let's go to church on Sunday. Does he allow you to keep your idols? You might even call these gods Jesus. Jesus Christ. I worship Jesus Christ. But don't be fooled. Those are false gods. It's said that they suppressed the truth about God. Listen, they did not honor God or give thanks to God. And then the progression of sin, the futile minds. In order to know that your mind is not futile, you worship false gods, you must honor the true God. You must be in the Word. You must know who He is, who He claims to be. You must understand that. A lot of people think you can worship that God that allows you to continually live in your sins with no repentance. That God is not in this Bible. We must worship in spirit and truth. Our God demands submission to Him. Demands an honoring, an exalting of Him. Do not have any other idols before me. That's what God says. It's a glad submission. They didn't honor or give thanks. When you see the King of Kings high and lifted up, that he is life, that he offers life, and all this is true, everything that we've gone over is true of every one of you and me. And he would save me. He would remove me from that place. He would wash me clean. That he loves me right where I'm at today, not the better version of me. That ought to roll up into thankfulness, right? It's a glad submission to God. Matthew 13, 44 says this. Listen to this. This is the kingdom of God. So the people in heaven, the people that are part of his kingdom, this is the kingdom of God. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This verse is ascribing value to God. Supreme, complete, utter, only value to God. The things of this world don't have value compared to God. God does not like to be weighed in the balance. It's a glad submission to him. This would be devastating news, this 18 through 32 and even on into chapter 3, if it weren't for what precedes 
in verses 16 and 17 of chapter one. And, and, that, and that, is, that is this, that, that Jesus Christ in his perfect life, death and resurrection has made a way for us to be saved. All of us vile people who are God haters. He's made a way for us to be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. So we don't have to be stuck here with a debased mind. God will not leave you there if you exalt him. Everyone who exalts God is saved. Everyone. Everyone who gives glory to God. We've got to get it right what that means, right? That's important. It's life or death. Jesus has made a way that you can become God lovers. Once that you are God haters. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. This path of destruction that we were on. This highway to hell. But God in his, in his rich mercy loves us and saves us. But God, it's great, isn't it? It's needed today. Worship team, come on up. Some of you need a but God. Maybe there's those of you who who just understanding today that, you know what, I think I worship the things of the world. This scares me according to these passages. Because according to these passages, if I just worship the things of the world, I don't exalt God, I've got a debased mind. I'm headed for destruction. Come up here if that's you. If you're confused, you want to talk more, we'll sit and we'll talk. We'll be here all day. It doesn't matter. If you've got questions, come. We'll do the best we can to answer, to help, to help you to see. Or maybe you're a believer, but you go, man, I'm, I'm flirting with idolatry. I'm playing with some toys I shouldn't be playing with. Man, I've got some relationships that are exalted. I've got some stuff that needs to go. Get up here. Get up here. We will pray with you. I'll get on my knees with you. We've got to, we've got to be worshiping God. We've got to end in worship of God. We've got to give glory to God. We've got to ascribe Him, His place in our lives. If you don't, what does this tell us? If you refuse to exalt God, your mind and heart are gone. They're blown. And, and some of you just maybe have some stuff that you're struggling with. It's like, I just keep... I keep struggling. I want this to go. I, just, I, I, I can't get rid of it. I need some help. You're in a good place. At least you want it to go. These people in this passage want to keep playing with it. You're, you're, in a, you're in a good starting place. You're in a really good place. We can repent. There you can repent. Because you're in a place where you can see this is dangerous stuff. I don't want it. I want this stuff out of my life. I want to worship God, see? I want Him. Let's get up, get up here and we'll pray about that. Don't leave here discouraged. This is not what this has for you. This isn't discouragement. This is encouragement. We should see how wretched and pitiable we are. We should see how filthy and, 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 and all that. We, we didn't worship God. We haven't worshiped God, but he'll allow us to worship him. If you repent, you've got to worship God. You've got to worship the true God. Complain with the things of this world are not worth it. Let me pray. Father God, I, I just uh, come before you and just plead.
Holy Spirit, will you, will you work on those of us that need worked on right now? I pray that you've been doing that. God, will you grant repentance where repentance is needed? Don't let people feel stupid to come up here and, and, and bow the knee to you. God, it's life and death. Please help people this morning to worship you, to exalt you, to lift you up, to get you, to have you. Please help people see the value of you. Let people see how the stuff of this world is confusing. I chase it and it's up to no avail. I just want something else. I want more. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. That I know that those people don't know that you fulfill yet, but you do and you will. Encourage their hearts this morning, God. Bring us to repentance, Holy Spirit. God, I just love you and thank you so much that you would allow us people as God-haters, insolent men, come to a place where we can say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to do that anymore. I just want you. And then in Revelation 4, it tells us you're going to seat those of us who come to that place. You're going to seat us on a throne of you, your throne, your place. We're going to be eating at a table in heaven that we don't belong. And all the more grace will be continued to pour out us all throughout eternity. We will see your grace. It will be lavished upon us. It will never stop. Oh God, can we see the value of you this morning? God, let us put away these trinkets and toys that keep us from seeing how great you are. God, we exalt you this morning in your rightful place. Amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.